Welcome everyone to our second episode of uh, Politics in the Time of Corona. We uh, are speaking with, uh, we already spoke with uh, our interlocutors in Gaza and we're speaking with our interlocutors in Dublin today and I will let Noura, my co-host, introduce our speaker. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. John Reynolds, uh, at professor at Maynooth University in Dublin, Ireland, who will be sharing with us what the situation looks like from Dublin. Welcome, John. Welcome, John. We're, we're smiling, we're smiling, yeah. Why don't you start by telling us um, how your child is going to save us from COVID-19? <laughs> yeah, well, he's been, he's been, he's been learning with various witches spells and uh, trying to cast some spells, make some potions and get rid of the coronavirus because he's not happy with not being able to go and visit his friends, not being able to go and visit his cousins and not being able to see his uh, grandparents and all that. So he's working on it. We're getting there. How are you guys with uh, two little ones at home? We're grand, yeah, we're home, all right, so far anyway, I suppose like everyone just trying to adapt to the situation uh, as it's uh, landed on us and as it unfolds and get heads around, around what's happening, look out for the people around us in, our, in the communities and all that who might be vulnerable. We're lucky enough that we're uh, uh, easily enough able to, to stay at home and function, um, but just obviously trying to make sure people around us in more difficult situations have what they need, trying to make sure my parents especially uh, stay safe and stay, stay home and have what they need, and uh, and just looking out for everyone else around us really. And then my, my partner's Italian and her a lot of her family in Italy, obviously they're all still fine uh, for now, but uh, obviously, it's it's been a really brutal and kind of tragic scenario there the last few weeks. So we're just really hoping they're starting to to get past of it, the worst of it there, and uh, and hopefully the rest of us around other parts of Europe at least have some some lessons that we can take from that uh, in in how in how it's managed and and how the response comes. But it's uh, yeah, it's strange times, obviously. So, I, I mean, that's a, a really pertinent question. We're, we're curious about, for most people, it has meant more or less the same, stay at home, engage in some mutual aid. Um, and then there's differences based on um, federal and national responses. So, um, and, and not only that, but how it's also been politicized uh, in different places that we're at. Have you seen any of that from your vantage point? Well, I mean, I suppose the, the the context in Ireland, in a way, I mean, it's there's a lot of similarities, obviously, to uh, the rest of Europe, at least, and, and other parts of the world. But I suppose one very particular thing about the political context in Ireland, which feeds into what's been happening here the last few weeks with this pandemic, is the fact that we had an election literally a couple of weeks before the, uh, the virus arrived in Ireland. It, it was already... Uh, unfolding in Italy, we had an election early mid uh, February, and essentially the big story of that election was a, a, a kind of historic uh, high vote for Sinn Fein, which is the uh, let's say left-leaning 
nationalist um, party that most people would know, obviously from its origins and its role in the conflict and the armed struggle and its relations uh, with political movements in the north of Ireland and its role in the peace process since then and its and its role in power sharing arrangements and government in the north of Ireland uh, in the last 10 or 15 years, but it's become a much more significant force in in Southern Ireland in recent years and, and did uh, exceptionally well in this election, not well enough to, to be able to, to be in a position to form a government, but certainly upended a lot of the um, the status quo in terms of the, conser two, the two main conservative parties that had been dominating Irish politics for a long time. And the, the, real, the reason for that and the big um, uh, issues that, that were significant in the election were Two, two major social crises, really, that we've had in, in Ireland over the last 10 years or so that really have continued since the austerity financial crash and the austerity period and the, the IMF bailout, which are a housing crisis and a, and a crisis in the, in the healthcare system. And the reason Sinn Féin did very well in the election and did very well with younger voters particularly was because of policies that they have had around trying to address um, and articulate alternatives and and um, what you know relatively moderate social democratic solutions in a, in a lot of senses, but solutions that seem quite radical in the face of the status quo, and obviously a, a lot of which are around public investment in services rather than um, uh, the, the kind of neoliberal model that we've had for a long time. And so that they won they they won the popular vote, let's say, in the election. They have more or less. Uh, the most seats or as many seats as the, as the two bigger conservative parties, but there was no government formed on the back of it. It's it, it's a, a hung parliament, essentially. It's talks had started about potential different configurations for government formation. No party was able to, to form a majority government. And uh, that's all kind of essentially been left on, on the back burner now since the, the, the COVID-19 virus has arrived here and what we have is essentially a caretaker government which is the the previous outgoing conservative minority government who've been uh you know given a str very strong message by the electorate in the election that uh, that they weren't um that they weren't doing what what a lot of people wanted them to be doing and they're now the ones managing this uh crisis but 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 managing it in a way uh, where they have, they're, they're in quite a weak position. They don't have the legitimacy of being a, a, a functioning elected government, and uh, because of that, the dynamic is quite interesting. They're on, they're, they're, there's a lot of opportunity and openings for social movements, for uh, civil society, and for the opposition parties to put a, to put to put pressure on um, on them in, in how they respond to it. And so far, they have been. Um, there's, been, there's been some interesting dynamics in how they have responded and, and some of the, the policies and measures that they have taken have been more progressive than you would have imagined from a, from a conservative party like that. There's a lot of shortcomings, obviously, with, with how they have uh, managed it, but, but that particular dynamic, I suppose, have, has been an interesting part of the story and has meant that um, the, there, there are some uh, positive elements, at least in terms of how things have been addressed here in comparison to, to elsewhere. Would you say that those elements have to do with uh, 
things that Sinn Féin might have done or another coalition government that might have done that another conservative government is adopting, for example, moratoria on rent, uh, stimulus packages in order to sustain um, income, especially for our hourly uh, wage, earner, wage earners, uh, other things of that sort. Yeah, yeah. So, there, I mean, there's, I suppose, there's a number of different elements to it. The economic uh, uh, response and, and, and some of those kind of measures definitely are part of the story. So, one of the things that's happened is that the, the, the welfare payments for people that have lost their jobs and quite a significant number of people, about 140,000 people already have lost their jobs here, which, you know, in a, in a, in a relatively small uh, workforce is, is, is a significant number. And so the, the welfare payments for, for people that have lost their jobs in this context are, are almost double what the standard was before. Uh, then in terms of people that are, that are still employed but, but out of work or not, not getting any hours because of the, the situation or because of closures of workplaces and so on, the, the state is paying up to 70% of their salaries and asking the employer to pay the, the balance. Uh, in the childcare sector, for example, which is essentially completely outsourced to, to the private sector, so the, the education system in Ireland, the schools and the universities are all more or less uh, public institutions, but but childcare is is privatized. But in uh, in that sector, the the state essentially has, has stepped in now because obviously they've they've ordered the childcare facilities to close. They're uh, pay, they're 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 essentially socializing it for for the for the next three months. They're paying a hundred percent of the wages to the workers, and so so that parents don't have to pay those fees so so you know those, those kind of measures to to keep people to keep people's income at, at some kind of level uh, sustainable the broader kind of macroeconomic and fiscal stimulus packages are still emerging and unfolding but what's clear i think not just in ireland but across europe is that there is going to be major injections and major stimulus packages issued in in a way that you know very much lays bare the um the realities of the of the fiscal rules and structures that the European Union has put in place, which were you know very restrictive and very much um, oriented towards a towards a, a very particular um, uh, economic model, that's been you know that that's been blasted apart fairly dramatically by this, and it's clear that we're uh, the, the the types of austerity and the the dogma and the logic of there is no alternative to the neoliberal model that was you know very strong response to the to the financial crash a number of years ago in the way that the austerity measures were imposed that's not um that's not being repeated to the to the same extent here and so we see a, a, a quite a quite interesting opening up on on that front the other kind of particular um issue that's interesting in ireland in relation to the to the health care system which is a hybrid kind of a model where we have a public health service in parallel to to a private uh, a private system with based on private insurance model, and you have uh, essentially you know two tier system operating uh, depending on what type of service you need and whether you can afford insurance or not. What the state said just as of yesterday is that uh, that's a that's essentially going to 
break down for the for the duration of this pandemic they've they've essentially said they're going to socialize the the private hospital system and the private healthcare system to to deal with this and that all treatment and services for anyone affected by the the coronavirus will be will be free that uh, private insurance patients won't have any priority over those who would have been coming in without insurance under the public system and so again it kind of really breaks apart the uh, what so much of what we've been hearing about and what the status quo positions have been that you know we ha we have to have a, a mixed model or there has to be a role for the private sector it shows I suppose on one level that the, that that model and, and a private health care model doesn't work when you have public health uh, situation like this to deal with where you are dealing with you know infectious disease that's that's affecting and impacting at a societal level rather than non-communicable diseases where it's you know if it, it, it's up to the individual whether they can you know the, the, the level of suffering is is contingent on their ability to pay uh so you know i think that that and now that's just an announcement as of yesterday and so it remains to be seen how it'll how it'll play out in practice but again the fact that that is a, a decision that's come from from this particular government is um is not insignificant i think uh, John, how, how would you compare the way both government and peoples are responding uh, where you're at uh, to this, this entire epidemic compared to the rest of Europe, including, the, uh, including uh, you know, England, where we have seen that they were slow to react or slower to react? Yeah, so, well, I suppose the... the there's been a couple of phases if, if we if we think about if we talk first about the, about the Irish response specifically so the um, the first case of the of the virus in in Italy and in Europe was was towards the end of January for really the duration of, of February the, it was very much a, a kind of a business as usual um, dynamic in Ireland in that the, the, you know there was no suggestion of people being advised or restricted from from traveling to Italy. There was a lot of um, initially a lot of rhetoric about, you know, we can't disrupt people's lives. We can't disrupt economic activity. We can't um, interfere with the free movement uh, model with within the European Union. And so the, situ the situation you had was, you know, a lot of particularly during, say, for example, school midterm breaks in February, a lot of students schools families etc going to italy on holidays going on skiing trips and all of that and so the um there was a, a, a sense really that this is something that's that, that that's not going to be a major issue obviously then we so we had the first case in ireland at the at, on the first of march i think it was that had and, and the, the first number of cases here were all associated with people who'd been um who'd been traveling to italy and had come back uh once it was here, there was a, a kind of a, a slow but steady trickle of cases for the first week or so. And again, still the response was relatively slow. One of the big tipping points and one of the big pressure points was discussions in the first week of March into the second week of March around this uh, big public gatherings like, for example, the St. Patrick's Day parades and festivities that were been coming up. There was, again, a lot of pressure from, from the public, from people that were starting now to realise and see the impact that this was going to have 
for those kind of gatherings to be cancelled. Again, the government was was reluctant to do so, but eventually did so. That was the first major decision and action they took was to cancel the St. Patrick's Day festivities around the country. Then there was a lot of pressure starting to come from um, from civil society, from 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 certain elements of the medical and and health uh, professions, and then. You, so after maybe a slow and, and, and delayed response, then you did have a series of, of fairly uh, decisive measures that were taken in, in uh, phases to initially to close schools, universities and childcare facilities, then to close um, uh, the pubs and the and playgrounds and other public spaces like that. And uh, more recently, just in, in the last couple of days for, for further closures of, of what are considered non-essential workplaces and businesses and so on so it's be what what we had i suppose in in comparison certainly with the, with with britain was a, a more decisive initial response but now the the the, the, the government here remains reluctant to, to really shut everything down in the way that other parts of europe have done and so if you look at uh at certainly italy france spain and a lot of the continental european countries they're under you know, more or less complete much more extensive lockdown uh, situation than we are here now. People are still relatively free to to move around and be out and about here. There's been a lot of emphasis on individual responsibility for for social distancing and and all of these kind of measures. But um, it had it it was uh, a phased response, I suppose. And there there does seem to be some uh, evidence from the. The, the, the data that we have and obviously like everywhere the, the, what's being reported in terms of number of cases and so on is is very hard to know how representative it is of the overall situation but the curve uh, uh, as we can see evolving now is you know it, it is ha hasn't got as steep as as uh, as people feared and the projections for the number of cases that we were going to have in Ireland by the end of March, for example, are being revised slightly downwards, not not a huge amount, but was slightly downwards. Whereas in the UK, obviously, the initial uh, discussion and and uh, um, discourse around herd immunity, as as it was called, and some of the the modelling and the advice that seemed to be given to the government there was to 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 take a a, a more laissez-faire approach to it to let it play out and see what happened and they were they seemed to be at least what they were saying anyway was that they were planning further down the lines for a, a later surge obviously the it's there, there were then subsequent studies that, came, that that were provided to the british government and they realized that it was spreading a lot faster than they had expected and their curve was getting a lot steeper and so now they've taken more uh, later, but more decisive measures, and so the closures and the restrictions in Britain and the north of Ireland now are, are have gone further than what we have in Ireland. But they, there's a sense, at least from the data that is available, that they've they've maybe lost a week to, to ten days and are um, are trying to catch up now. Um, that's, I suppose, as much as I can say. John. I have two questions yeah, yeah. Uh, related to that. Um, one is is a follow up on what Bassam was was asking about, which is, you know, the Saint, for example, the St. Patrick's Day parade that Ireland canceled actually preceded the cancellation in New York City for the same parades. And so, for the rest of us, we see Ireland actually trailblazing. But the impression you're giving is that while they're imposing social distancing and canceled a number of things have not imposed a complete lockdown, which is now what distinguishes it from these other countries. That's one. 
And then the second question I have is related to what you're sharing with us about the herd immunity. I mean, in many contexts where that language is being used, it's almost a euphemism for a form of ecofascism that the conservatives are interested in seeing play out in a very irresponsible um, and problematic way. What can you tell us about both of those things? Yeah, so I suppose on the, on the like the St. Patrick's Day thing, it's just I suppose a feature of the timing of when this emerged. You know, for a lot of people. Uh, in Ireland, you know, they were more than happy for St. Patrick's Day to be cancelled, regardless of any <laughs> of any virus. It's not, you know, it's not something that most a lot of people in Ireland, let's say, see as something that's for us. It's really something that's for uh, uh, Irish people in the diaspora or other uh, parts of who want to associate or identify with Ireland, or for tourists that want to. That want want to come to Ireland, obviously, and, and particularly in Dublin, the, some of the stuff in, in Dublin is is um, is particularly hard to to stomach when you see the the, the state of the city on that day. But uh, that's not. I mean, there are there's, there's lots of interesting and, and cool creative stuff that happens around smaller towns and cities around the country, and it is important to um, to local economies, particularly in smaller towns and villages. And that hence that was why there was a reluctance. Um, but but yeah, it, it, they did make the decision eventually after, and again, I think it showed the uh, capacity and the ability of of um, public pressure, and and really it showed because that was the first stage uh, of of these decisions being made here, and and it's been replicated in, on a number of uh, fronts since then. Really, that the. Um, uh, the, the the public and the social movements have been ahead of the of the government and the authorities on most of these measures, and so and so even um, in, when it came to closing the pubs, for example, the, the schools, universities, etc., were closed, but the pubs remained open, and so it just meant that a lot of people, move, you know, were still uh, congregating in tight spaces where they shouldn't have been, and there were, and it was a big um, uh, campaign really for the to, to, to pressure the government into closing the pubs, a lot of the more politically engaged and and progressive and responsible or, or conscientious pubs were, were voluntarily closing by themselves and taking that hit on themselves and, and ultimately then the, the broader um, association of, of pubs and restaurants and uh, in conjunction with the government came to this uh, came to this position. But it, it was something that they were um, following rather than leading on, let's say. The you know and to, to to connect it maybe to the second question because the one of there were there were some St Patrick's Day parades and festivities in in Britain and it, uh, that that did go ahead and and the, the week uh, I'm trying to remember now the exact timeline but the week uh, just before in the run up to St Patrick's Day for example there, there's a huge horse racing festival in in England the, the Cheltenham Festival which is a big one of the biggest things in the horse racing calendar every year. And is a, a major um, uh, a, a major economic activity for lots of people involved, and, and earns a lot of money for a lot of people, uh, and 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 has a big Irish uh, involvement because of the role of Irish horse owners and trainers and jockeys and so on, and thousands, like probably ten to twelve thousand people of a 50,000 or 60,000 crowd were our Irish people who travel over for it. And so that went ahead. And when you see, you know, some of the images and the photos of, of, 
of uh, how tightly packed people are into the space at, at an event like that. It's not it's not a kind of football stadium situation where you're sitting down and there's a, a certain amount of space between people. This is you know really wedged in like sardines in a lot of the uh, in a lot of the enclosures and uh, th- yeah. So so that was all going ahead uh, as the the British government were having this uh, discussion around the the herd immunity uh, concept which I saw, I was just reading something yesterday referring to it as, as epidemiological neoliberalism, this, and, you know, and, and it is, you know, there, there's elements, I suppose, in, in some of the core ideological underpinnings of a, of a concept like that, of, um, you know, that, that do, like you say, tie, tie back to, or tap into a, a kind of a eugenicist um, uh, way of thinking and, and worldview. And, and, you know, that wouldn't be inconsistent with some of the people in positions of influence in the in the Tory party at the moment. And so, you know, there was a suggestion and, you, you know, if you see here some of the language that Boris Johnson used, this idea of letting it pass through the population, you know, he's not necessarily explicitly saying, you know, to weed out the weed or to let the, the weeds die off, but that's certainly the, the underpinnings of it. Now, they did, you know, once... Once things once things did escalate quite quickly, they did a very stark and prompt U-turn on that, and you know it, it's hard to know whether that was the plan all along or whether there was you know just a, a rethink. The part of the problem and part of the um, um, issue, obviously, in in uh, the, the the Irish context, is that part of our island is is. Uh, is subject to decisions made by the British government and and made by the the Tories and the DUP in the north would be very much aligned and of of the same mindset on a lot of these kind of issues and so it was a similar issue with the discussion in the north here at at the at the time and they were you know quite when things were had been closed and restrictions were in place in the south of Ireland the the north was was still kind of operating as normal schools are open and particularly in the border areas you have a lot of movement and, and interaction and crossover uh, because of how embedded and, and intersected the two commute the two sides of the of the border are in those areas and so it was it was having an effect there you know there, there's other, other parts of Europe that that seemed you know the, the likes of the Netherlands and Sweden that seem to have had some kind of elements of similar um, logic and language in, in how they've approached this, but for the most part, I think you know uh, since it's since it's escalated in Italy and since uh, you've had a lot of cases in in Germany, France, Spain, the, the, some of the major core European countries, the, the 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 overwhelming consensus has been that you know as much uh, intervention and restriction and decisive action as possible is what is needed at the at the early onset phase to try and to try and uh, contain and manage uh, and manage the spread of it, but you have, you know, that that is being set side by side with a an economic model and a, um, a, a European Union context that that has very much uh, spent the last twenty or thirty years, you know, um, uh, prioritizing the market and prioritizing. Um, uh, um, liberalization of of movement but of of uh of economic acti- activity as well and so 
that you know the the ability i think of the of the european countries to respond as decisively and as quickly as they needed to in this kind of a context um ha, has been hampered by by that by that model and by those underlying structures and part you know we've seen some of the, the worst uh, um uh, implications of that in 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 Italy and Spain so far. In Ireland, we're still you know we've had we've the, the number of cases is gradually going up each day. Each day, uh, we've we've only had we've seven deaths I think so far. But the, the sense is that over the next kind of two to three weeks is when the the major surge would be expected, and so the the fear will be about how much pressure the 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 hospital system and the health system comes under because, like I said, so much of our healthcare system has been privatized uh, or is is reliant at least on a certain on a certain um level of the population having having private um cover the public system has been you know is is relatively stripped down and bare bones and so the the capacity of it to to deal with um to deal with with a potential flood of uh, of intensive care cases is is still very much up in the air we we have I think about half the number of intensive care beds per per capita uh, that Italy would have. We have probably about a quarter of what Germany would have. So we're well below the European average, and so there is a fear that even if it's been relative, it's been managed not in the worst way so far. There, there you know, that that's no guarantee that uh, we, we'll end up avoiding the, some of the worst impacts. This is really insightful and informative. It's it's actually more than we bargained for, John. This is really fantastic. And 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 on that last note where you said in the next two or three weeks we're likely to see the worst of it, on that uh, hopeful note, we we wanted to ask you if there is anything else that we haven't asked that you'd like to address um, before we uh, we wrap up. But we're we're trying to make those things. Uh, you know, sort of limited to 30 minutes. So we have a couple of minutes if you would like to address something that uh, we haven't or if Nora has any queries. I mean, th this, we don't have to talk about this right now, John, but I think one of the things that's become, and the U.S. is very much like the U.K. and what you're discussing in terms of hedging their bets, not taking this seriously, initially thinking that herd immunity would be the course to strike, um, is recent studies that have revealed that that actually is not an, uh, a viable option whatsoever because of the capacity for the virus to mutate. So there is no such thing as herd immunity in this situation because of, it, of that capacity and the fact that you all, all you'll do is increase the number of deaths over the long term. So I think that there's also been this reality check and, 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 and it's a, really a crisis of leadership of not, of, of, of not doing better immediately. If, if you can wrap this up in a couple minutes, that would be awesome. I know it's it's a mouthful. Yeah, yeah. No, well, I mean, I suppose maybe just the last couple of uh, things to, to to try and bring into the conversation, like the, um, I think one of the, you know, one of the things that we've seen when you have a, a scenario like this unfolding that is quite different to, a, economic crisis or a, a a manufactured political crisis the you know the the, the structure the underlying structures are, are laid bare fairly clearly by by something like this and we see how it impacts and how the, the most vulnerable people are 
most at risk. And so in in Ireland, like in lots of places, it's you know migrants and, and asylum seekers in in um, what we call here direct provision, but in kind of uh, confined uh, and very inhumane kind of accommodation and and borderline detention uh, situations that don't have the the capacity or the or the possibility of of self isolating or um, or 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 taking the, the kind of measures that we should be taking and and again this has been you know an ongoing campaign for the last twenty years in Ireland to abolish this uh, system because it is a, an inhumane system and and I get the line has been well no we can't it's this is all we have this is all we can do but now because it again because it is a public health. Uh, situation and because of the pressure that this, the, the kind of movement of asylum seekers and the self-organized um, uh, communities affected by these things have been have been pushing for and and uh, asking for and arguing for and fighting for now we're starting to see the state say okay well we have we have to create alternatives we have to pe people that need care or need to self-isolate need to need to be moved out need to need to be accommodated elsewhere and so a lot of again a lot of this no alternative mantra has been has been shattered on you know on many fronts and I think what will be interesting is you know in how, how can we how can we try to think about that and with that in if, for a post-pandemic uh, situation where we can reimagine a, a, a very different kind of future I think it will be it will be harder for Conservatives and for and for establishment uh, uh, figures to argue, you know that, that those um, no alternative lines anymore. We've you know we've stuff to do with you know uh, rent freezes, um, restrictions on on evictions, deferrals of of uh, of payments, and so on. All of the kind of stuff that a lot of the the, the left and the social movements have been arguing for for a long time. Uh, and and uh, the the line back has always been we can't do it. Uh, now now it is happening and, and and we are doing it. And so I think you know it, in in some ways it becomes hard to return to to, to the the so called normal um, situation after the, the if and when the the pandemic plays itself out. And so you know there is I think um, cracks of opportunity and and shoots of of hope there for for different types of resistance and solidarity and for, for, for different alternatives to emerge on the back of this. I mean, just a final point, maybe the, the, one of the, again, with the other big election here, apart from the the, the health system uh, in Ireland recently was the, this major housing crisis that we have in, in the cities and in Dublin particularly. What's happened in, the, in literally in the space of, of a couple of weeks since this um, pandemic has hit is that obviously Tourism and travel is has essentially stopped. The rental market in Dublin, where you know you had this major pressure and an escalation of rental prices over the last few years, and young people essentially just not being able to afford to live in the city. Uh, the, the, the rent, the, the spaces for rent in, in Dublin now have increased by sixty five percent in the last two or three weeks because all of those Airbnb and other short term. Um, uh, lettings that had that had been siphoned off essentially to the tourist and short-term market, they've they've opened up now, and and the uh, there's a kind of a life that has come back into the into the system again. And so you know, again, I think 
there's a clear argument to be made after all of this plays out that you know there, there has to be more limitations and restrictions uh, to, to stop Airbnb and, uh, and and those types of economies from from take from from sucking the life out of out of uh, out of cities around not not just here but but around the world and I think you know that that um, that that gives you I think some um, some pause, some cause for, for for optimism in obviously a very a very difficult and, and anxious kind of time at the moment. Thank you so much, John, uh, for for this. We. We're really delighted to have the opportunity and the fortune to speak with you and for you to give us, again, a lot more than what we bargained for. We really appreciate it. I learned so much. I, I actually, there were so many things that I, you know, did not know at all about what you shared regarding Ireland and where you are in Dublin. So I am really grateful for your time. Thank you, John, and thank you to your beautiful family for letting us borrow you during this time. <laughs> And we, we look forward to, we we look forward to speaking with you again potentially. Very happy to do so, yeah. Anytime. This has been a status uh, program on uh, politics in the time of Corona. We just spoke with John Reynolds from Dublin and we will see you again hopefully.